I think I'm an introduction, right? Okay, I think we're there. So I want to tell you something. This summer we're going to be doing something different, and the big announcement on this comes next week, but right now, go ahead and hit the thing. Okay, let's see if we're there. All right, so it's called Summer of Soap. Okay, and why did the lights go down? Okay, but some, Summer of Soap, all right? And the idea is, that's the speed bump right there, so when you're reading your scripture and you hit the speed bump, then you stop and ask the Lord and so on. And what we're going to be doing each week is you read your soap for this week and then think about which one you'd preach on. I really want you to do that. So it's very simple to get to. You can get to your app and you just go right to the very top devotionals. You can go to our website. It's all over our website. Very, very simple to get to these readings. And they're fairly short, but they're meaty. And so the idea is, is just as you're going through the week, just say, which one would I preach on? And then all the preachers from now until Labor Day are going to be doing, they're going to pick the one that speed bumped them. Okay, they're going to pick the one that was the most meaningful, and they're going to be preaching on that verse. Do you get it? So that's what we're going to be doing for Summer of Soap. It should be a lot of fun. We're just wanting to do something interesting. We're going to be heading back into Empowered in September when uh, we're getting right to some really thick stuff. So this will be a fun thing to do between now and then. But one of the things I want, one of the things I want to do is I want to cast vision for something. You've been watching, if you've been coming to this church, you've been watching week after week after week, the Lord put the messages together, connect the dots. I want to show you that that doesn't just happen when we're in Luke. I want to, I really feel like the Lord said, I want to show you that I'm doing this all the way through. So people will be picking their own sermons and it'll be a much broader mix and so on. And you're going to see that there's going to be a thread of what the Lord is doing with us throughout the entire summer. Now that's my prediction. We'll see if it's true. Right? Right? But I just want you to see how much the Lord's really in control here. Having said that, I get to introduce our speaker now. And I want to tell you, there's something that I just absolutely adore about Lake Sam. And that is that the people here, in two different ways, are really extraordinary. The first one is, is that people here tend to have the most interesting backgrounds. For example, our speaker is John Badaman. Did you know that he spent much of his formative years in Saudi Arabia, literally going to a, a private school there that was an internationally well-known private school, very high education and so on, and everything else. But I got to tell you, if you really know him and get to know him, the degree to which that shapes him, that experience in Saudi, is extraordinary. And it really does flavor everything that happens. And there's much more that could be said about John, but let me get to the second one, because it's one of the ones I care about even more than that. And that is the people that go here tend to really care a lot about their faith and walk it seriously. Did you know, for example, that John and Lori go to Warren Beach, which is a very popular uh, retreat community just up on the Sound, and they go there, how many times a year do you do the encounters? About three or four? Yeah, so they do premarital encounters up there. And this is things where couples from all over that are getting married from all over the Sound will come, churches all over and so on, will come and they'll go up there and then they've built an entire team and so on. They have this entire ministry that they do up there that helps these couples. But of course, they don't just stop there. Then they do the dessert nights here to help us. But one of the things that you wouldn't know, and you wouldn't know it unless you'd been the recipient of it, and some of the people sitting here right now have been, they're also one of the most important couples in this church for helping marriages get through rough patches. I, I don't know of another couple besides me that does more of that. I'm not even sure if you don't do more. And what they do is, is that they'll bring these people in and they'll 
pour out their life on behalf of people that are struggling. They'll give them, they'll help them, they'll walk them through. We've had many, many, many marriages that have been set back right because of John and Lori. And that's just, this is just a part of it. So let me just get to, I told you there's two things I liked about it, that people have extraordinary backgrounds that they're serious about their walk. But let me just tell you, there's a third reason why I wanted to have John speak, and you've heard him speak here several times. And that is that I believe that John is called. And when I say called, I want to make it clear, everybody in here is called. We got it? But some are called to a calling that's similar to the calling that I have. And for 40 years, I have been operating in that calling in a way where I can see and feel people that are similarly called. And there are many, many people in ministry because I came to them and said, I think you're called and you need to be considering this. And they were like, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in it. You're crazy. And now they're ministering. And they're very thankful. They'll call me back up and say, thank you for saying that. Sometimes they'll have a little bit of snark in it because it's such a great job. But, you know, but, but I just want to say, as evidence of John's calling, he's about to talk to you about something today which is pretty controversial anymore in our culture for a white guy to talk about women. He's not actually talking about women. He's going to be talking to the men about how to think about women because he wants to show you how God thinks about women. And I just want to say something about this. I've been studying deeply marriages and men and women and all this kind of stuff for decades. I mean really strongly because of how much of it I have to do. I've never heard what he's about to tell you. Not one time from anybody. I've never read it. I've never heard it never seen it anywhere and it so shocked me when he told me about it a couple months ago and I because I said I think I need I think you're the guy and he told me what he was working on and I said could that be true and I went and I looked it up and it was true so I just want to show you I want us to welcome I want us to receive God's calling to us through him so would you welcome him myself up here. I want to do something. Uh, I, I threw out my whole little introduction that I had because I came across something better. And I really hope this works. So this this is my little five-year-old boy who sent me a WhatsApp message. So hopefully this works out. Just listen to that for 45 minutes. Right? Thank you, Daddy. No. You know, just nothing better. So, I'm uh, sorry. That just, it just made my week. And, and I'm going to put my phone there. It might go off. And if, if you're a friend of mine or Roger Maddox and you're watching, please don't text me. It'd be funny. My, uh, my oldest boy is playing in a baseball tournament, all-star tournament. His first year playing, got asked to be on an all-star team. 
Daddy couldn't be prouder, and I, I asked Bill, my father-in-law, who's there with him, would you please text me? Even if it's during the sermon, i got to know. So we need to pray because they're behind. Okay? Please. Um, I have to have my notes here because I don't know how Kurt does it every week without notes, but I've got to have my notes and my old man glasses, and I'm ready. Okay. Uh, I was chatting with Kurt a couple months ago. I was chatting with him because April and May are always kind of a tough time of year for me. And uh, by the way, I have to yell at you because Tammy says I talk quietly, so I have to yell, apparently. So uh, anyway, I'm talking to Kurt, uh, April and May, tough time of year for me. It's a time of year when I am reminded of things that I've lost, things that have been taken away from me, things that I can't do that I want to do. I always get to feeling really sorry for myself. And I get a little dark and grumpy and gloomy. And my poor, long-suffering wife, who goes through this every year, finally this year sort of shoved me in front of Kurt and said, would you please help him? And, uh, and so I'm talking with Kurt, and I'm telling him how frustrated I am and these times when I just feel really hopeless and just discouraged and no, I don't want to pray. No, I don't want to do my devos. And Kurt goes, oh, well, it, it just sounds to me like you need to preach then. <laughs> right? But I knew in that moment that he said that, that I needed to do it. And I knew in that moment that it was going to be an encouraging message for women and about women and that we we're going to see something about God's heart for me because God had been showing me some things in this past year and then Kurt did this great message on Mother's Day about our relationship with God and his heart of a mother that he has and Kurt is hi I'm sorry you're here you pre re probably really wanted to hear Kurt I'm sorry <laughs> Anyway, so, um, and Kurt uses this verse, it's kind of our, our theme verse of our church, John 17, 21, where Jesus is praying that as he and the Father are one, that we would be one with each other and one with him so that the world would know. And I just knew that as he was sharing this message on our relationship with God this way, that... I had a message that was about our relationship toward women this way. And I actually struggled with that a little bit in my preparation because I thought, you know, he talks about our, our horizontal relationship with God, or our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with each other. And I just thought, you know, a, a message about our horizontal relationship with women on Sunday morning, yeah, yeah just didn't sound quite right. So this is about our relationship toward each other, toward women. And I'm telling Kurt all of this, and he goes, that's great, but I really want the guest speakers this summer to uh, pull their message out of the soap reading like he just explained. And I said, okay, well, I'll look ahead. I'll look a couple months ahead, and wouldn't it be just like God to put a verse in the week prior to when I speak about women that I could use as a jumping off point for my encouraging message for women. So I looked ahead and I read, and sure enough, 
there were some verses in there that really stood out about women. And here they are, I think. Click. Clicking. There it is. Let your women keep silent in church, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Yay. <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody say or had that experience of hearing God speak to you in a still small voice? I heard God snicker in a still small voice. Like, yeah, go ahead. I dare you. And, and Kurt, pretty nervous. The words that he used to describe his nervousness, I can't use up here. He, he would. I can't. Um, and and I, I have to say, I learned a new term this week, um, mansplaining. Have you heard this? I'm old, I know, I'm slow. Uh, mansplaining is where a man patronizingly tells a woman about how she is. Did I get that right, Kurt? Okay. This is not mansplaining. This is hopefully an encouraging message for women but I'm really talking to the guys in the room, okay? Because we are the ones who have problems with this, right? Yeah, are you gonna throw it at me? Oh, turning it on would be, that would make it work better. Nobody told me about that, doggone it. Okay, we're gonna start all over again. Okay. All right, so I'm not mansplaining, right? preaching to the guys, and hopefully you ladies don't kill me afterwards. All right, so uh, Kurt said, hey, look, you don't, you don't have to use that verse. And I said, you know, let me, let me think about it. And I, and I knew kind of that I shouldn't be afraid to use it because God had been showing me some really cool things about his heart for women, and I just kind of knew that it would be okay. Uh, and this, this thing that God had begun to show me, it started last year at one of our Engaged Encounter uh, weekends. And during uh, one of our talks on Saturday, I start reading in Ephesians 5 about marriage. And we start in verse 21, because most people start in verse 22. Uh, we start in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And I, and I go on and I read the rest of the chapter about what men are supposed to do and it's, it's supposed to be this encouraging talk. But that evening, one of the couples came to us and the lady said to me, she said, when you read that, she said, I almost got up and walked out. I was so angry. She said, I was married before, and he abused me, and I have no intention of submitting to a man. And she, you know, we had a great talk. It was very intense. We had a great talk. But ultimately, they actually ended up leaving the weekend early. And that was tough for me because I, all I had done was read God's word 
and they left. And as I worked through that, and I looked back on it, I realized that this is, it was one of those perfect examples of when we take a verse out of context, or we offer it out of context, or we take a verse that is poorly translated, like we'll look at in a little bit, and now suddenly that thing, which is supposed to bring life, which is the Word of God, now brings death. And that's what had happened. And as I struggled to process that, God really began to show me more of his heart for women and how that we needed to um, we needed to take care of that better and that we could be doing a better job with it. And I want to make the argument this morning that because of our culture, because of our traditions and our biases and even poorly interpreted scriptures, that we have created a burden and a bondage for women that God never intended. And I'm not actually going to uh, dig into the particulars of the 1 Corinthians 14 verse because um, Kurt and I both agreed that if I did that, it would, uh, it would just distract and take away from what I think is the bigger lesson that God wants to, to show us this morning. And Kurt has talked about that verse many times. He's done sermons on it. We are obviously a church that has women come and speak all the time. And we are, in fact, a denomination started by an incredibly anointed woman, Amy Simple McPherson, that God used mightily. And so there is a way to understand that, um, but talk to Kurt. And uh, what I want to do is I want to get us to a guiding principle, that an attitude that God wants us to use in our relationships with each other, and use that as a guiding principle which can then help us work through these difficult verses. And we can use it as a filter for how we interpret God's Word and how we use it in our relationships with other people. So, that... I've set for myself a fairly lofty task on a pretty difficult and touchy subject. So it's a perfect time for a prayer. Uh, who's praying? Oh, Jenny Y. <laughs> That's awesome. I had said to her when she said, who do you want to pray? I said, I leave it entirely up to you and to God because this, this one's big. So it's perfect. Thank you, Jenny. Lord, um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us. And Lord, if there's a little tweak in our spirits because of that first verse, I just say in Jesus' name, Satan be gone. <laughs> and I ask you, Lord, to have your way in our, in our midst to, to flow through John, to anoint him at such a time as this. And Lord, that you would lead him by your spirit and help him to bring to light the message that you've given him. And Lord, that you would um, speak to each of us and help us to hear your heart in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
So this, thank you, Jenny. So this past February, Lori and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Yeah, which, which simply means after 20 years, I actually know less about women than I did 20 years ago. Those of you that have been married a long time know what I mean. Um, but th for those of you who know her, you know what an incredible person she is. She is smart, uh, incredibly capable, very determined. Um, she was raised by a woman who's very much the same. And I, too, was raised by a woman who is very much the same. And my personal world has always been strong, smart, capable, anointed women who are doing great things for God and great things for their family. That's been my personal world. But that's not, I've not always lived in a culture where those qualities of women are appreciated. As Kurt said, uh, in, in 1977, my parents came home from a trip to Houston and announced that we were moving to a place called Saudi Arabia. And in little podunk East Wenatchee in 1977, before the internet, before cable television, before uh, ubiquitous international travel everywhere, if they had said we're moving to the dark side of the moon, I would have at least known where that was at. <laughs> but we moved to Saudi Arabia, and um, that's Saudi, biggest sand pit in the world. And if you've ever driven with me and you wonder why I drive the way that I do, that's me learning how to drive. <laughs> and when I came back here to, uh, to do driver's ed, it took me the longest time to figure out what all those lines in the road were for and why you were so determined to stay between them. I just didn't understand that. But if you are a woman in Saudi Arabia today, you look like this. This is a culture where, as a woman, you are literally the property of your husband. You are expected, when you're out in public, to walk a certain number of paces behind your husband. You're not allowed to drive. You're not allowed to vote. You are not allowed to even go out into public without a male family escort. And when we got there, I, I remember one of the first memories I have of being there was we were going down the road, and we went by a little pickup, a little short single cab pickup, and in the front was a guy driving with his two boys, and in the back was some livestock, I think some goats, and his wife and daughter, covered head to foot in the black abaya, they call it in Saudi, out in the sun, out in the wind with the livestock going down the road. And while Saudi is a pretty extreme example, uh, it does actually reflect much of the world's negative attitudes and treatment toward women. And my heart is, for this message, is that we, especially us guys, we will get to a deeper place in understanding just how much God's heart is for women and how we need to be the same way. And I have been doing this long enough to know that whenever you talk about men and women, whenever you talk about our differences, when you talk about marriage and our roles in marriage, uh, it's, a little bit by, it's a little bit like wandering into a minefield blindfold on a pogo stick, right? <laughs> You're pretty quick going to get yourself in trouble. So 
I am asking for a little grace this morning. If I say something that just kind of frustrates you, please don't come accost me at the end. But uh, send me an email. I will uh, respond back to you. My email address is curtb at lakesam.org. Now, several years ago, um, some knucklehead decided that it would be a good idea to blow up my world by suggesting that I become a Foursquare pastor. Thank you, Kurt and Julie. And one of the privileges of... I just called Julie Bronk a knucklehead. I don't mind calling Kurt that, but for some reason I think I will pay dearly for that. One of the privileges of being a Foursquare or being a pastor is getting to officiate weddings. And uh, as Kurt had said, we do uh, premarital counseling with whatever couples that we're working with. We do the engaged encounter. And now over the years, we have worked with literally hundreds of couples. And one of the things that I always like to ask the guy when we're talking to them, I always say, okay, you've read Ephesians 5. You've heard this thing about the men of the head are the head, the women get to submit, what does that mean to you? How does that work out in marriage for you? And usually the guy who's, who's typically a younger couple getting married for the first time, usually the guy will kind of hem and haw a little bit, he might sort of have an answer, sort of not, but rarely does he know. What he does know is that this woman sitting next to him has done the most remarkable and utterly inexplicable thing. She has agreed to marry him. And all he wants to do is spend the rest of his life loving for her and caring for her and cherishing her. And the last thing in the world that he wants to do is rule over her. And he is now running into what I will call, or what we can call this morning, the classic Christian teaching on a woman's place in marriage. And this is what most of us grew up in church with, if we grew up in church. Uh, this is Adam and Eve in the garden. They're walking with God, which is the perfect picture of marriage, what God created marriage to be, the three of us walking together, and it's what he's trying to get us back to. But Adam and Eve decide to sin, and God comes to them, and he's telling them the things that are going to change. And he comes to Eve, and one of the things that he says to her, he says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, you take that verse, you throw in Ephesians 5 about men being the head. You throw in verses like 1 Corinthians 14, 34 about not speaking in church. You take those at face value without really digging into them, and we interpret them in a way so as to draw a conclusion that the reason that there are differing roles is that what Eve did was somehow worse than what Adam did, and therefore she gets to be in the lesser position. And what Adam did was not quite as bad, so hey, he gets to be in charge, good for him. And this is the typical understanding, sort of the conventional thinking about roles in marriage that we have had for generations and generations. And it leads us to one 
and really only one conclusion. If you believe that traditional thing, then we are saying that women are in essence being perpetually punished by having to be subjected to their husband. If that's the reason that God has us in those roles, then women are being perpetually punished by God. And this notion, this understanding, it's deep in our culture. It's contributing to our biases, even today. And it's not hard to find examples of it. One of the things I love to find are old minister's manuals. It, it's, it's just funny to look at what constituted premarital counseling 70 years ago. It's about that much of a page, right? It's, go figure it out. You'll be okay. That was premarital counseling. And, uh, but there's other places that we can find it. It's not hard. If you do your soap reading on Bible Gateway and you click over onto the right, there's all sorts of commentaries. So I went and looked over there because I thought, well, what are they saying about these verses? So I found one that's been around for a couple hundred years, Matthew Henry. Um, let me get that up here. There we go. So Matthew Henry, his commentary on Ephesians 5.23, the metaphor for the husband being the head of the wife is taken from the head in the natural body, which, being the seat of reason, of wisdom, and of knowledge, and the fountain of sense and motion is more excellent than the rest of the body. God has given the man the preeminence and a right to direct and govern by creation, and in that original law of the relation, thy desire shall be for thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Whatever there is of unease in this, it is an effect of sin coming into the world, and generally, too, the man has, or what he ought to have, is a superiority in wisdom and in knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's... He's a good guy. When you read most of his writing, he's not trying to be mean. This is just the bias of the day. So on 1 Corinthians 14.34, note, it is, as it is the woman's duty to learn in subjection, it is the man's duty to keep up his superiority. <laughs> yeah. The one that I ran across um, just lately, no, yeah, here it is. Um, from Genesis 2.8, uh, in the King James Version, that um, God says uh, there's no suitable helper for, for Adam, so I'm going to make a helper for him. And, and in the King James, it's help me. We've had help meet for hundreds of years now. And I went to seminary in the South in the 80s, and I had professors there who if you did not preach or study from the King James Version, you were borderline heretic, right? So I heard help meet a lot. And I always thought it was one of those old English colloquialisms, and, and it might sort of be, but I was reading a contemporary Christian author, Dr. Walter Bramson, who found a commentator um, who, back, who was telling us what help me meant to the men back then who put it into the Bible. And it gives us an insight as to what they were thinking. And he says, according to John Gill, a commentator during the King James era, the purpose of a help meet is to make a man comfortable, to dress his food, be pleasing in his sight, and be in all respects entirely answerable to his wants and wishes. 
In other words, Dr. Bramson continues, a helpmeet is a female slave whose entire existence is centered on meeting the needs of a man. And these commentators, they are reflecting the biases of their time. And it comes forward through time. We take our biases and we take all of that and we insert it into Scripture where it doesn't actually exist. And we end up with a culture that in some churches can look not too dissimilar from the rest of the world. As I was going through this last night with Lori, she made a really remarkable insight, which is for most of us that are a little older or, you know, this church, that's not such a big deal. But she said, you know, it's the younger generation who's looking at these old notions of what marriage is and how it's been presented in the last few hundred years, and they're rejecting it. And they're saying, if your idea of marriage is a subservient woman and a man ruling over her, then I, not only do I want nothing to do with your institution called marriage, I want nothing to do with your institution called God. And we're seeing this today, working with young couples, that they just know instinctively there's something wrong with that old classic approach, and they're looking for something deeper and better. Because many cultures around the world today and throughout history, all over the world, we've treated women like secondary persons, and including those, some of those in the Christian church. And I think it's to our everlasting shame. When Jesus started his ministry, he quoted the prophecy about himself in Isaiah. And I don't know if I have it up here. I was expecting, we're having some technical difficulties. Yeah, Jesus said, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This verse doesn't just apply to you men. This liberty for those who are concerned certainly applies to women as well. He didn't come just to set men free. He came to set all of his creation free, including women who are often the most oppressed. And the Christian faith ought to be the one where women have the most freedom, the greatest sense of purpose and of value and of worth and of hope. This is the place where women should understand just how much God loves them. And they don't have to live in a place of perpetual punishment. The world ought to look at the church and say that this is the most uplifting, the most encouraging, and the most safe place for women. Amen? So, if not the classic Christian version that we've been talking about, what then? If we're going to challenge this conventional thinking on a woman's place in church, what are some things that are going to help us to see it differently, to look at it differently? Well, the first one is that, you know, we're very, very blessed to have a pastor like Kurt and with a heart like his. And because he did not grow up in church, he does not carry with him some of the sacred cows, so to speak, that 
those of us who grew up in church have. And so he's looking at some of these things from a fresh perspective and saying, what is God wanting to do? And one of his great teachings that he has done on marriage over the years is this thing on roles and the roles that God put us in after the fall in the garden. And I'm not going to go through it in great detail. I just want to hit the highlights because it's a super important teaching. And if you haven't heard, get one of his sermons and listen to it because it's, it really is remarkable. But here's the essence of it, that God didn't put us in our different roles as a punishment for the one and a reward for the other. He didn't put us in our roles that, so that we could use our natural gifts as men and women. Because women, in fact, make great leaders. Your nurturing nature to just take care of those under your, your care, sorry, is remarkable. And for us men, it's very easy for us to, f to follow others because we just naturally respect so easily. So if we perceive somebody as a good leader, we will just naturally follow them. And when we do this in our own strength, and when we do it in our own ability, when we do anything in our own strength and our own ability, that's usually when we get in trouble. And what Eve did, in essence, was she led without God. And what Adam did, in essence, was he followed without God. And God comes to them and says, I'm going to put you in a place where you can't use your natural giftings, but rather you are going, in order to succeed, you're going to need to press close to me and press close to each other in order to succeed in your marriage. And it has nothing to do with reward or punishment. It has everything to do with putting us in a place where both of us need God, and that's what God's always trying to do, bring us closer to him. Right, so that's Kurt's fantastic teaching. Super helpful in helping to reset our thinking. What else? God has shown me something recently that I just think is remarkable. If you were here for the last dessert night, I'm sorry you get to hear it again, but it's just that remarkable. Um, so what is God's heart? Who did he create women to be? This is a question that I've been asking the last few months since what happened in Engaged Encounter. Not, not what does man say, not what do the commentators say, but what does God say? And I, as I dug into that question, um, God showed me something remarkable that I think will help give us a new attitude and help us with these difficult verses. So I went back to the beginning. Who did God create women to be? Genesis 2, 18, I will make a helper suitable for him. And I asked myself, well, what's a helper? A helper in our vernacular today sort of denotes the idea of, of a, an assistant who's in a subservient role, whose job is to come alongside the other who has the more important role and, and help them. That's kind of what we think of as a helper. And I wanted to understand what God was saying there, not in my language, but in his language. So I dug into the Hebrew there a little bit at that word helper. And the word there is, um, sorry, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, azer. Uh, to say it properly, 
you have to be a Spaniard walking barefoot on a beach in the Costa del Sol with some sangria. That's the only way you can say this word right. It's, it's there, and you're supposed to roll it 20 times. And if I try to do that, poor Becky Joe's going to get wet with spit. So I'm just going to say azare. And it's a remarkable word. It comes from two root words, one of which means to rescue or to save. The other one is to be strong. And God has put those two words together to come up with azare, this word that he uses to describe the person that he is making for Adam. It's only used about 21 times in the Bible. It's used twice to describe woman in Genesis 2. It's used a couple times to describe a situation where people don't yield to the help that is offered to them. And the rest of the time, it's used to describe God. And I want to read some verses to you where this word is used, because I want you to hear the context in which God is using this word to describe woman, the same word that he uses to describe himself. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, as I'm reading these verses, does this helper sound like a subservient personal assistant or something entirely much more? So here we go. Genesis 2, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. For the, for the man, no suitable helper was found. Right? Deuteronomy 33. Hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands, he defends his cause. O be his help against his foes. Be his strong rescuer. Again, in Deuteronomy 33, there is no God like the God of Jerusalem, who rides the heavens to help you, and on the clouds of his majesty. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, your glorious sword. May he send help from the sanctuary. May he send a strong rescue from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Psalms 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Psalm 70, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O Lord. You are my help and my deliverer. I have be, uh, Psalms 89, I have bestowed strength. Azare, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. Psalms 124, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalms 146, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. It's Hosea 13, you are destroyed, O Israel, because you are against me, you are against your helper. In Psalms 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. My strong rescue comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This same word, Azar, that God uses to describe himself as a strong rescuer is the same word that he uses to describe the woman that he is creating for Adam. When he says, I am creating a helper for you, he's not saying, I'm making you a personal assistant. He says, I'm making for you somebody who will come and do for you what I do for you. I am making for you somebody in my image who will come to you 
and be as I am to you, a strong rescuer. Now that is an entirely different understanding than the help meet classic approach that most of us have grown up with. And that alone, that alone should change everything in our attitude and relationships toward women and toward each other. And if God is bringing you men a version of himself in a woman as a strong rescuer, then how can you even think of her as a submissive servant whose only duty is to take care of you? So what is it that God's trying to get us to? What should be the overriding thing that we use as a guide for working through and understanding some of these difficult verses and in our relationships with each other? The answer to that, it turns out it's been there all along if people were just willing to see it. It was there in the beginning in Genesis when God created marriage and it was there in the end when Jesus was getting to wrap up, beginning to wrap up his time on earth. And that thing, it's oneness. It's oneness and unity. In Genesis 2.24, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. John 17, 21. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. This is the metric by which we evaluate our attitude towards God's word and toward each other. It is God's ultimate desire to be one with us and that we be one with each other. In, in our everyday relationships and in our marriages as well. If the decisions that you are making in your marriage are not decisions that lead toward oneness and unity, then they're not okay. If the things that you are doing, that we are doing and saying to each other aren't done in an attitude of oneness and of unity, then may I humbly suggest that we try a different approach. God does ask us to have different roles in marriage. There is a really hard thing that he asks women to do in coming under the care and covering of their husband. And there's a really hard thing that he asks men to do in laying down their lives for their wives. And yet, if we look back at Genesis 3.16, says, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Now, this is seemingly in conflict with that notion of oneness. And I really struggled with that. I struggled to understand it. And then I applied this filter of oneness. And I began to see something very differently here. And the thing that really stood out to me in this verse and I asked I ask Kurt, what's, what's a really good accurate verse or a good accurate translation? One of them is the, the Holman Christian Standard. And as I read through this, something just jumped out at me. And it was this word, yet. 
And I've always heard this verse taught as if this thing that God is saying is going to happen was his will. That this is what he wanted. He wanted the men to rule over the women. But I began to see that maybe it's not. Maybe it's something different. Because of that word, yet. It's like God is saying, your desire will be for your husband, but, uh, yet, he will rule over you. Have you ever had that experience? You've, I, I put this in there because Lori wasn't quite sure what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen one of these three-dimensional cubes? And you sit there and you stare at it, and you go, well, I'm looking at it from underneath. And you just stare at it, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, now I'm looking at it from above. This verse in Genesis has become that for me. Um, I'm going to go back to it. I'm not sure how I did that. Because it's like God is, God is saying, this is not my will. This is not what I want for you. This is the natural outcome of the sin that you have allowed into this perfect place that I've created for you. I don't desire this for you. This is just what's going to happen. And it's a completely different way to look at that verse. Your desire, yes, it's going to be for your husband, but uh, he's going to want to rule over you. And how do I know with some confidence that I think I'm right here? Because let me ask you a question. How do you have oneness with somebody that you are ruling over? It doesn't work. Leadership Lessons 101 from the corporate world, from the military, from whatever. A leader creates a separation between themselves and those that they're leading because that familiarity makes it difficult to get anything done. How can I be one with somebody that I am supposed to rule over? The leadership in my life that I am supposed to live is supposed to be an example for my wife and my family to lead them closer to the Lord. There's nothing in Ephesians 5 about ruling over. There is everything in there about laying down our lives for each other. We're both being asked, actually, to do essentially the same thing. We're asked to do it in a different way, but we are both essentially being asked to lay down our lives for the other. Lori, can you come up here and join me? What is it that men are being asked to do? Can you come over here? Thanks. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. There's an implication in this verse that I had never seen until recently. And that's, that's the implication that as Christ is presenting the church to himself, so too will I, as the husband of Lori, be held accountable for her spirit at the end of our days. When we stand before the Lord and she stands before God, I will be held accountable 
will she be beautiful and radiant and splendorous, holy and blameless, or will her spirit be crushed and broken as a result of being in my life? The things that we are asked to do, the things that I'm asked to do, I can do them right here. I don't have to be out in front of her. I don't have to be back here behind her. I don't have to be down here, right? And I certainly don't have to be ruling over her. There's nothing about Ephesians 5 that says I can't do what I'm supposed to do from right here. And what we are doing is we are side by side helping each other, saving each other, and working toward being everything that God has created us and asked us to be. Ladies, you were created by God to be strong, to be to this world as he is to this world a bringer of rescue and salvation to us in our time of need. God wants us to be one with each other, and he wants us to be one with each other. He wants us to do that so that the world will know just how much he wants to be one with them. Amen? Heavenly Father, Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that as the creator of the universe, your ultimate desire is to be with us. Help us, Father, where we are weak. Help us to see your heart for each other. Forgive us, Lord, where we have erred, where we have driven people away. Father, forgive us. Father, teach us a new way of understanding your truth without compromising it. Teach us, Father, to understand your heart for each other. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Do you guys need to do something? No, that's, we're good. Okay. I think, or no, do you want to say something? Yeah. <laughs> Let her speak. Sorry. Um, I think it's really important when you get this understanding, especially for the younger generation, because uh, we think, oh, the Bible says women are subservient, and therefore I'm going to throw that out because I don't think that's right. And by debunking that today, I hope that the younger generation knows we can still be confident in God's word. Because we have just misinterpreted something, doesn't mean that God's word isn't true because his heart is really this oneness and the women are our strength. Amen. And so I want the, everybody to still know, be confident in God's word. And even though we struggle through things in our culture, God's word is still Amen. right, even if we've messed up our interpretation. So don't lose your confidence in God's word. Amen. Amen. Um, you ever heard that before? Ever? What the heck? What's wrong? What the heck? Seriously, that's, that's striking. And I've looked it up. I've worked on it. it. You know, there's other good scholars in here. You look it up. We'll talk. Okay? 
But I'm telling you, what he just said is true. It's right. It's good theology. It's God's heart. It's who his character and his nature is, and it's what he's doing. And it does make an enormous difference. Could you just feel that at the very end when she came up and he was right by her and he was saying that? It was like this just palpable presence just came. And he was just saying, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, here people come before you and we say, we want this. We want to be one with you. And we want to be one with each other. And that includes and starts with, if we're married, our mate. God, I would also just insert a side prayer right here for all those who want to be married. God, bring them a mate, even now. For those who don't, okay. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we come before you and we say we want to be one. You just gave us a whole nother way of looking at it that helps us become one. So thank you, Jesus. Take this and send this message out. Get this into people's hearts. Get it into their lives. Get it into their relationships. Thank you, God. Reach down and pick up this cup that's in front of you. This cup is called communion, and that means with union. It means with oneness. Becoming one with, right? So that's what we're doing. So what I want you to do is on the lower cup, that is the bread, and just go ahead and take it. Thank you. This is the bread, Lord God, that we lift up understanding something, that because of a sinful nature, even at this moment in time, we continue to carry a deception in our hearts, a, a misunderstanding of what you meant and then said. And we recognize that it has broken a lot of things. It's broken a lot of women. It's broken a lot of men who were denying their strong helper. It's broken a lot of things through marriages that didn't go the way that they should have because of a misunderstanding. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we thank you that you're the one that takes all of that out of the cross and heals us. So knowing our brokenness, we put our finger in there and we break that. But knowing your healing, we lift it up to our lips and we take it to be made whole, to be healed completely. Thank you, Lord. Now, in Jesus' name, we lift this cup in which is the life that you made. Not the one we think you made, not the one we've been living. The life that you have for us now. It's already been bought, paid for. It is already <clears throat> right there waiting for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this life and we say, God, these words that were spoken today, would you let them become the words that echo in my heart, in my spirit, in my mind, that I might be a better husband? Would you let them echo in Julie and other people's lives? that they might hold on to something of strength, of power, of rescue, of the role that you've actually called them to. Thank you, God, for sending us that. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, make us all live in your life. Take together with you.